Our scripture this morning is from James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Hey, thanks, Chris. Um, how about pub trivia last night? Any you guys there? Yeah. Wasn't that fun? Can we thank the team for putting that on? I thought that was great. Whoops, sorry, Ben. Um, looks like we're not going to be doing those two songs later. Um, uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. You know, my favorite part about pub trivia was uh, there's about 80 or so folks there. Uh, I would say at least about half were folks who aren't regularly attending current. So it was just a real fun time of just uh, thank you to all you guys who, uh, you know, use the opportunity to invite friends and be part of this uh, growing community. Pub trivia is as good as it gets, in my, in my humble opinion. Uh, I won't say too much more about pub trivia, though, because my team got last. Um, <laughs> And I was on that team, so I'm, I'm claiming, um, yeah. Uh, actually, it's it funny. I, I look around, I see someone on my team here, and I won't, I won't bust us out. Uh, but it was the first time, I've never been on, and I contributed to this. We had literally written three or more answers on the board that were correct, and then like erased them and put other ones. So that's why we lost. We knew our answers. But anyways, um, James 2. I'm looking forward to getting in this with you. Let me pray, and then, and then we'll jump right in. Father, thank you for uh, this book of the Bible that we've been going through, the series we're calling Faith in Action. Uh, thank you for just how we can come together, we can sing, and we can uh, look at your word, and we can be touched by you. Lord, that's what we long for now, is that you would touch us with your spirit. Uh, would you give me your spirit as I, as I seek to teach these things? Would you help me to get out of the way? And would you just speak to us today? And would you help each of us go away with, with something uh, that you would have in our hearts. And for those who are here, uh, the many who are here who don't identify as followers of, of yours, Lord, I pray that you touch them too, uh, that you would uh, reveal yourself to them. Um, but we, we commit this time into your hands. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're looking at James 2 today. Uh, most Christians talk about faith, but often in very different ways. What makes Christianity unique? How does the Bible define faith, and why is faith of such great importance? Uh, this text really gets into all of that. In fact, this text is probably, uh, as far as the, the book of James goes, uh, really the heart of, or, or the theme of what he's been driving at. He's already been talking about a little bit of this, and if you've been coming here and you've been listening to the series, you'll know, you'll hear some themes that, that have been raised. But if there's any text uh, that really kind of gets to the very, very heart and core of what James, the entire book, is, is about... Uh, looking back or as we continue to go forward, uh, it's right here. 
This is faith in action, what it ought to look like. Um, But before we can kind of get into what James is talking about here, we do need to understand a little bit of context, okay? Um, Because if you were here the very first day when we kicked off the series and introduced the book, you you will remember that uh, we said James is very unique as far as a book in the Bible, at least in the New Testament goes, New Testament being the books that follow Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and, and, and just afterward. James is very unique in the New Testament among these books. Uh, because while many of the other books, just about all the other books, tend to focus on doctrine or theology and expounding those sorts of things, those you know, heavenly truths, James is more concerned with bringing those truths down into real life, uh, being very practical about it. So for instance, there's no talk of the resurrection of Jesus in the book of James. There's no talk of his redemptive work. The name Jesus is only said twice. Uh, so James is really taking kind of what the gospel is and working off a lot of assumptions of what his original readers would have understood and bringing it down to earth, applying it into the life of, of, uh, of the everyday follower of Jesus. Um, so as such, as he's talking about faith, we need to understand, okay, what context, what background is there that James is pulling from? Uh, when I was in college, I remember reading an article uh, that was, I wish I'd kept it. It was, it was very illuminating, very insightful to me, even as the authors of this article started by saying, now look, this is over-reductionist, this is oversimplifying, but... but here was their, their statement. Here's kind of what they were, they were arguing. They're saying that, you know, as far as all the major religions go in the world, uh, there's, uh, there, there's, there's more similarities amongst them than we tend to think. Like, there's more similarities among, among the wor- world religions than, than we would normally think about. So, for instance, he said, and these writers were saying, that if you look at all the code of conduct or the standards of living or the laws, however it might you know, define such things in, in the particular text. They say that, you know, they, they're more or less compiling similar, similar thoughts. So, for instance, you know, again, this is oversimplifying it, but they're basically all the Ten Commandments in one way or another. I mean, they, there are variations, but take the Ten Commandments. You know, they're, they're all basically this. And if you want to oversimplify it and talk about what it means, they, they're saying religion is essentially do this and you will have life. Don't do these things and you will not have life. And if you want to really over uh, emphasize it. That's kind of the thought. Um, and the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament leading up to Jesus' life, affirm that. They're saying, okay, here's the laws, is how the word's put there. Here are the Ten Commandments, as we just talked about. Do these things, and, and you will live. And Jesus himself affirmed this thought. Do these things, and you will live. In his most famous sermon on the mount, he said, do not think I have come to abolish the law, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law. What's he saying? He's saying, yes, God wants us to live the life he's called us to live. In other words, we need to live, we need to do good things. We need to live by good works. But in the same breath, Jesus also said this in that same same statement. He said, do not think I have come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And that, of course, if you haven't heard it before, is the gospel. That is what Jesus, that is what is so unique about Christianity about the message of Jesus, that it is something that he has done for us that we receive by faith. Uh, it is, if, if religion is essentially do this and live, don't do this and you will, you will not find life, uh, the, the gospel is Jesus did this for us, that we will receive the life that he gives. Um, and so that, that's to be received by faith. That is, that is, that is what uh, belief is. That's how we are saved, is, is one way to put it. That's how we receive a restored relationship with God. 
Um, that's why Jesus, for instance, he said this multiple times, but in, in one, one time he said, that here's the most famous verse probably of the Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will, ha- will not perish but have everlasting life. Or verses like, uh, he gave uh, to all who would receive him, those who believe on his name, the right to become children of God. It is about faith in what Jesus has done for us. In other words, unmerited grace. Um, if you guys remember high school history, you remember Sole Fide, Martin Luther? Anyone? No? Um, get a pastor up here. I start to geek out on that stuff. Martin Luther uh, was the guy who, single, well, not single-handedly, but was, was the main thrust in bringing about the Reformation. Um, and uh, one of the things that he, he was known for is he was a monk in the church at the time, and he was really living under what he felt the heavy burden of living out what the, what the Bible calls us to do, this, these standards, these laws, the things that he's like, I know I should be doing this, but I'm not doing this, to the point, if you know his story, that he was like, like flogging himself, beating himself. There's nothing in the Bible that says to do that, but that's what Martin Luther was doing. And then he got himself, uh, his hands on the Bible. Remember, this is before, you know, Bible is just uh, everywhere. And he read this, these two verses, which essentially kicked off the Reformation, if you, didn't, if you didn't know that. Romans 1, 16 and 17 say, Paul writing to the Romans church, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Sole fide, Latin for by faith alone. That's how we receive God's righteousness and what Jesus has done for us. This is the faith that James is, is talking about here. It's the gospel of grace that can be received today, just putting our faith in him uh, and receiving the good news in Jesus Christ. So then, okay, now we're back to James 2. What is going on here then if James, with, with all of what James is saying here in this text? Look at verse 14. He says over and over again, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? And then verse 17, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Verse 18, sorry, this won't be on your board. Uh, Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. And then verses 19 and 20, you believe there is no God. Good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And then verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So, is James contradicting everything that we've said the Bible says and and Jesus says? uh, No, he's not. Um, He's showing us that true faith will be demonstrated by faith. True faith will be demonstrated by action. Um, And he's actually even going so far to say, Christians, if if you profess to believe, if if you and I profess to believe and there's no evidence in our lives that it's, it's being lived out, then is there, is there any, was there ever a faith to begin with? And, you know, Jesus, for his part, actually affirmed this. Uh, at one point to a group of his followers, he, said, he asked the question, why do you guys call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Uh, so James is actually in alignment with Jesus. Even as we are saved by faith alone, James is saying, yes, what that means, though, is you, that saving faith will be demonstrated by works. It will, it will, it will be shown uh, by a life changed, by a life that is changing. It's a living response type faith. And so here's the question James is asking here, very acutely in this text, but across, the, across all, of, all of his book, 
Are you living out your faith, if you're a follower of His? Does your faith actually impact your life and those around you in a positive way? Um, he's, he, um, or are you just going through the motions? Or am I just doing it because it's, it's tradition for me? Um, that's the whole sermon, okay, as far as like the, the one point that he's making. This is a one-point sermon, okay? We're going to unpack that in a minute. But before I do, I do want to say this. As, as James is saying our faith must be acted out in action, he's not saying, and therefore, you need to be a Navy SEAL Christian. You know what I mean? Like you need to be a special ops, like, you know, sell everything you have and go live somewhere where you're going to be. You, that's not what James is saying. He, God calls some people to do that. But what James is saying is far more basic and straightforward than that. He's not saying, hey, you have to be a Navy SEAL Christian. He's saying, does your faith play out in your life? Uh, so that's the question we're going to be asking today. Uh, it, faith, our, our faith, the Christian faith, always has a next step, is another way to put that. It's a next step faith. There's something always to, uh, to point towards life change in ourselves and, and, and in and around us. So the question we're asking today is along what James is bringing up here is, are we living by faith? What I want to do for the, the rest of this time is consider from this text and the surrounding text, uh, what then prevents us from living out that faith? Like what prevents us from living a life uh, of, of action? Um, and I want to frame these in, by a few questions. We'll go through these quickly and then we'll be singing again. Uh, are you listening? That's the first question. Are you listening? Uh, this is one we considered a few weeks ago. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can see it, but it's James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It starts with listening. You have to be listening to the, to the Word. You have to be listening to God and understanding what He's calling you into before you can even live it out, before it can be faith in action. Are you listening? A question that uh, my college group, college Christian group, used to always ask of each other um, was, uh, uh, what, what has God been teaching you lately? Has anyone ever asked you that question? Maybe if, you're, if you've been a Christian for a while, any, you know, that's a question that sometimes people ask. I don't tend to ask that question, by the way, because when I do it as a pastor, I don't want to put people on the spot. Hey, what's God been teaching you lately? Oh, I don't know, pastor. Like, I don't want to do that. So I, I try to be careful. It's a great question, though. Why? Because if God is, is your heavenly Father, if he, is giving you, if he has given you his Holy Spirit, it stands to reason that he's probably speaking to you at any given point in time. Like he's probably saying something to you if you would just listen and take, take it in. Are you, are you following me? Um, but we have to be listening. It was funny, and I wasn't doing this to like drum up a sermon illustration, but I was like preparing this sermon, and I, I just had someone come to my mind who had been part of uh, the current family and gone through some just really hard stuff, um, and I just, I just, their name popped in my head. I was like, I got, man, I haven't checked in with them for a while. They've moved away, but I want to wonder how they're doing and so, I, you know, most of me wanted to keep writing and preparing so I could get on with the, the work. Um, but I was like, okay, I'm going to do this, especially since we're thinking about this, this topic. And so I just sent off a text, and actually that text led to, it wasn't just a short little, oh, hey, nice. It ended up being just a really fulfilling relational connection both ways. I'm just feeling, you know, this person seeing where they're at and just what's, what's happening in their life, and, and then them just kind of reflecting on many of the things that this community did coming around them during the hard time uh, that, that they've faced um, are we listening? Are you listening um, so that you can then step into what God may uh, be calling you into or maybe stepping out of what God may be calling you out of? Are you listening? Uh, many of you, I love this about current, many of you are new in the Christian faith. You've recently put your faith in Jesus. You made a faith decision uh, over the last little bit. Uh, you know, a question I'd ask you is, are you praying? By the way, to ask that of you longtime Christians too. Are you praying? Uh, what is prayer? Prayer is talking with God. 
And not just a one-way street of bringing our requests, but, but listening to him, understanding what he what he's, might be saying to us, just listening there. Um, are, are you praying? Are you, you know, if you're you know, a parent, are you leading your family in prayer? And if you're not, are you open to that? Are you moving in that direction? Um, are you praying? You know, it's interesting just to spend a little bit of time on this because I think it's, it's worthwhile. You know, I, I remember the first time I learned how to pray, and I, learned, I started praying out loud for the first time and those sorts of things. It's, it's kind of awkward a little bit. It's like, it's, it's, like, it's like stretching or massaging and using a new muscle. Like, you just gotta, you gotta practice. But it's like, you know, I, I kind of liken it to a, uh, you know, a baby taking its first steps. You know, the baby's all over the place. Like, the head mass is just, like, you know, making it tumble and stuff like that. Uh, that's not related to my illustration. I just went there. Um, but it's just, like, wobbling around, right? Um, what's the parent doing is the baby's, like, taking their first steps. Like, come on, put your foot better, in front, you know, more properly. Take, no. The parent's just like, wow, you're taking your step. I can't believe, just super excited. I can't help but think that's how our Heavenly Father feels when we reach out to Him and start praying. It's not about these lofty words. In fact, Jesus often says, be done with the lofty words. Just come and speak to me. Just come and speak to me. Are you praying? Like, as we're listening, that's one way to think about this. Uh, are you listening? Maybe as we've been going through this series, you know, as James keeps bringing up this faith in action idea, have you, maybe God's been, or maybe you just, I don't know, whatever, it just keeps coming up somehow, this one thought that God, or, or, or whatever, is just like you need to be thinking about. Like, whenever we talk about this is faith in action, there's this one area of your life, like, oh, man, it just keeps coming up. I just keep thinking about that. The pastor's not saying anything directly about it, but I just, I'm thinking about that. Um, are you listening? Or are you, you know, finding a rug and just saying, I'm just not going to think about that. I'm just going to swipe that away. Uh, we need to be listening. Our faith needs to lead, then, to action. Uh, second question, are you available? I look at verses 15 and 16. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Um, I've mentioned a, a while back a study conducted by two Princeton University psychologists that was focused on the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, how this study was, was done was half of the seminary students were given an assignment to prepare a sermon on the Good Samaritan. Do you know, know the story of the Good Samaritan? In, in a nutshell, Jesus told this story to, to explain who our neighbor is. We're called to love our neighbor. And it was a very provocative story that he told to make the point because he, he talks about a guy who'd gotten beat up on the side of the road and Jesus, like the, the Jew, you know, of, of my own people, he went right by, didn't help. You know, the, the priests, the religious people, they went right by, didn't help. But it was the Samaritan who stopped, helped this guy, put him in and make sure he's taken care of. And that was really provocative because the Samaritans were at, at odds with the Jewish people. And yet he was the one who stopped and helped. Uh, so Jesus was making that point. That, that would be the sermon topic that half of these, these uh, uh, students were to preach as an assignment. The other half were given a topic to preach on any other various of topics, okay? So you're, you're following the study. Um, but there was a setup, of course, to this, and that is on the way, like after they came and they're like, okay, we're ready to prepare the sermon. They said, okay, we want you to go preach this to a group of people on the other side of campus. And in between that spot and the other end of campus, they had an actor there ready uh, to pretend and, and, you know, really show, you know, uh, uh, that they had been beaten up and that they were, you know, in trouble. And would these seminary students who were preaching on the Good Samaritan actually stop? Okay, you're following? I would not want to be in a study like this, uh, just walking into this. But um, that was the setup, okay? Uh, one more additional variable that they introduced um, was that uh, some of the scenarios, uh, seminarians were told to hurry because they were already late, you know, get over there and preach the sermon. 
and the other one, uh, others were told, you go ahead and take your time. You have plenty of time. Just, just get over there when you can. Uh, no rush. And the research uncovered had a very surprising result to these, these people. Um, each student was confronted with what seemed like a real-life situation of someone, someone in need. Only 10%, only 10% of the students who were told to hurry stopped to help. And 63% of the students who were told uh, that they had extra time offered assistance. Um, and the researchers concluded that it didn't matter if your life was about helping people. What mattered most is whether or not you were living life in a hurry. The words, you're late and hurry, they said, turned ordinary compassionate people into people who were indifferent to suffering. Ooh. Listen to how John wrote this. And this is not James, just another gospel writer. 1 John 3.18, he says this, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Are you available? Are you available? We live in a very busy area, do we not? The Silicon Valley, it's, it's busy. In fact, you can't really survive here if you're not busy, right? With the, ca- the cost of uh, housing, the cost of living, you've got to be busy to make it here. I mean, unless you have an exception, but those are the exceptions. Like you, You've got to be busy. There's all these things we've got to do. We've got any number of distractions here on top of it. I was watching a TED Talk this week that was talking about how social media, I mean, the data is coming out more and more. This best-selling uh, author slash professor was talking about how social media has more of an impact on us than we, we care to realize. So, for instance, it, takes up a lot, it can take up a lot of time. I'm not knock, knocking social media, by the way. Um, I, I use social media. But it's, like it, it's, it's saying that it not only does it take up plenty of time, more time than we tend to, to realize as we use it, but it also is cons- it, consuming some of our emotional and mental capacities even when we're not directly using it. You following me? So it's like we, you know, he was actually saying that oftentimes we'll have like a low humming, like uh, a feeling of angst, of anxiety, because we're comparing ourselves to everybody else's highlight reel and all that sort of thing that you guys are aware of. But the, the thing that I took away is like, wow, that's not even something that we're necessarily like doing in the moment, but it's, it's distracting us in a way, or at least it can be emotionally, mentally. I don't know about you guys, but when I'm stressed, I'm not available or anywhere near as available as I, as I ought to be. But are you available? Um, are, are we looking for these opportunities to share and care for others? You know, I was talking to someone right before the service today, and I said, how was your week? And they said, Hi, there's highs and lows. I was like, oh, okay, and wanting to be positive before coming to the sermon. Confession, I was like, what is the highs? Uh, I wanted to hear about the highs. Uh, I'll come back and ask about the lows. Um, there's the pastor confession. Uh, I said, how about, how about the highs? I said, what was, what was a high? And uh, we hadn't talked about any of what we're talking about today. And she said, she said, the high was I got to talk to somebody who works in the facility department, a janitor. And it was just such a great connection I got to make and just brought me so much life. And I was just like, that's what we're talking about today. You know, being available, uh, just being there. And that was, that was her highlight. Um, this is, by the way, as a church, why we emphasize, we encourage you, if you can, find a place in, in one of our current groups the current groups are a time when we go from rows into circles, and as God is growing this church, uh, we want to remain small. And so you've got to be in a group for, for a lot of this stuff to happen, where you can go and you can receive care, love, and help, but where you also can be a part of the body, giving and sharing and, and serving others as well. I mean, just think of Jesus' example. How many people was he hanging out with for the most part? You know, 12 disciples, Right? Would he help any and everybody who came to him? Most often, but not always. There's actually a few times in the Bible, check this, where he actually said no to helping some people, not out of a bad spirit. It was mainly so they can go help 
other people. But my point is, we've got to be available with what we can. Just so happens, small groups tend to be about 12 people. Okay, that wasn't intentional. That's interesting. Um, but we, it, it, but the, it stands to reason. We need to make ourselves available. We need to find that place. Um, all of this, all of, uh, there's a scarcity of this, and we need to be able to be a place where, by the way, we can help each other be available to others, not a part of the church, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, third question, are you ashamed? Are you ashamed? I think this is one of the big reasons, especially here in the Silicon Valley, uh, that prevents us from faith becoming action. Um, this week in Alpha, our Alpha Continued Group, uh, one, of the, one of the members quoted the HBO series Silicon Valley that we'll talk about from time to time. You remember that series? There's actually a number of episodes that hit this, and they're all hilarious. You can go YouTube it or whatever. Um, but the classic quote is, uh, you know, there's this scene where one of the actors uh, is being pitched by one of the, the Christian uh, startups and says, you can't do a Christian company in Northern California. Isn't Christianity borderline illegal there, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and this person in Alpha was talking about, like, that's, that's how it feels. And I'm sitting there like, I know. Um, talk about being ashamed. I don't know if this is all that was going on in this uh, moment, but on, on Friday, which is my day off, pastor day off Friday, I was at the taco truck, as I want to do on Fridays. And uh, during, 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 it's funny. So, so uh, my son's first grade teachers, like, and all the first graders rolled up, the taco truck, and I was like, aren't you supposed to be teaching? Anyways, they, they had ordered it, picked it up, went back. It's it cool. But uh, so there's a, there's a group of first grade teachers, and I'm there like in my sweats ordering tacos. I'm happy. Um, but, you know, we get into conversation, and one of them eventually asks, hey, so what is it you do that makes you have your day off be Friday? And I hesitated for a moment. And I said, oh, I'm a pastor, and, and the conversation presumed, and I was like, wow, I hesitated. Like, why? You know, I'm like, that's what I do. Like, um, and, I, and, I, and I started thinking about, like, why did, I, why did I hesitate? Like, why, you know, could it be like, oh, you know, that ch- changed my relationship with, you know, my son, you know, son's other teachers? And just so you're clear, you know, our, our son's teacher knows that we're Christian and we're starting a church and all that. But I'm, like, sitting there like, yeah, that's, you know, the Silicon Valley to play into that. Are, are, are we ashamed? I feel like so much of, our, of, of a Christian's calling, for those of you who are Christians, so much of our calling is just to surface, it's just the surface, like in the workplace. Just to, you know, you don't have to find a soapbox and say, "I'm Christian." You're like, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about just. Our, do your coworkers even know you're Christian? You know, I, I don't know any of you, and that, whether that's not a case, so I'm not trying to like lay it on here. But like, do do our coworkers know that we're Christian? Like, is there a different life that we're living that people would be like, "There's something different about them," and in the way that they approach interpersonal relationships, in the way that you approach interpersonal relations, in the way that you handle money, in the way that you handle business transactions, those sorts of things. Or like, for instance, when you talk about your weekend, you know, are you trying to like, oh no, I can't, or, or are we surfacing? Because that's a way in which we can, we can love people the way God calls us to love people. You know, I think about the antidote. Um, I, was, I was listening to someone um, a while back. You think about the antidote for feeling ashamed as a Christian is really understanding more deeply how God sees us. Because um, the Bible says that God sees us in Christ. Like, think about that. How does God the Father see God the Son? How does God the Father see Jesus? I think he's pretty proud, pretty happy, just lavishing love and care, just thinks the world to the moon and back about Jesus. He sees us in Christ. He sees you in Christ. He loves you, cares for you. And if there was ever like like odds with who could be ashamed with whom? Like, I would think that God could be ashamed with us, but he chooses not to be ashamed, and yet we choose to be ashamed of him. Like, what? 
Um, and so in moments like that, where I, I feel myself wrestling through this, I think what I need, and perhaps what we need, is just to realize more deeply that God's not ashamed of it. He sees us in Christ. Step into that, love Him, and love others because of that. Last question, and then we'll wrap up here, and this is, in my humble opinion, most important of all. Are you walking by grace? Are you walking by grace? I absolutely love that James, to make his point that like faith has to be evidenced by a changed life or a changing life, it has to be evidenced by, by living out, by having action. I love that he uses the examples of Abraham and Rahab. Did you catch that when James was talking about this example? It's like, okay, you need to have a faith like Rahab the prostitute. That's awesome. Why? Was James commending Rahab for being a prostitute in those, pra- those, those practices? No. I mean, read other parts in James that we've talked about. James comes out on a lot of this stuff saying, no, we, you, you take sexual immorality seriously, and so on and so forth. But he uses her as a commendable example. Why? Because she showed a faith live, uh, lived out in action. Point being, there was some major grace involved there. And then you think about Abraham. I love Abraham. I was talking with somebody uh, this last week about all the major characters in the Bible. You name it. Abraham, you know, Jacob, David, Moses. Uh, all of these folks were royally jacked up. I mean, we're talking flawed, sinful people. Abraham, he was credited as righteous when he believed, as James mentions here. He was credited. You know what he does? Like, next chapter, messes up multiple times, and in the same way, repeated pattern, um, you know, when he was told that he was going to have a kid in his old age, very old age, he said, I believe you, God. And God said, okay, you credited him as righteous. But then a little bit later, it didn't happen yet, and now Abraham's starting to get a little anxious about this. What was his faith? What did it look like? His faith looked like, you know what, I probably should help God out here. God's not here. And so he, he had a child with somebody who wasn't his wife. Want to guess how that went? Not well at all. It just led to a lot of mess, a lot of heartache, a lot of trouble for all players involved. God took care of that gal and that child in, in some tremendously wonderful ways. But that story aside, he's, he was gracious towards Abraham. He's the great patriarch of the faith. Why is that so encouraging? That's you and me. You know, I love Rahab's example here. Why? The prostitute is being commended as an example in the Holy Bible. You know, James, no less, with all of the way that he talks. Why? Because the Bible is about God's unmerited grace and Jesus demonstrated in faith. Abraham, yeah, he had his moments. It was good. He, he would step in and he would live a life of faith. He would demonstrate that faith in action. James mentions a time where he went and he was willing to offer his son in sacrifice as God was calling him to. And as that moment was approaching, Abra- you know, Abraham's hand was held. like he was, he, was with, he, was, he was told to stop by the angel of the Lord. But when God went to sacrifice his son, uh, there was no angel to hold, withhold the strike. And that's the gospel. That's what this is all about, that God loves you and me so much that he sent his son to die for us, that he lived the life that we can't live and died the death that we deserve. He, 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 he did everything so that you and I could live and died the death so that we could have life in him. That is the gospel. And what does that mean? It means the motivation is flipped. It means for Christians, if you understand the gospel and you've received that, it means the motivation is no longer fear. It's no longer, oh no, if I don't do this, God's going to get me or something bad's going to happen to me. Which, by the way, if you're hearing this sermon as we're talking about faith in action and it feels a little suffocating to you, 
or if it feels like a little bit of a weight coming down on you, I would say go back to the gospel. Go back to understand that it's not about you doing this. It's not about you doing a better job. If you're feeling that, you need to go back to the gospel because what's the gospel? The gospel is Jesus did it for you by faith alone. It's not a motivation of fear. It's a motivation of love, which means our life becomes a love offering back to him. My favorite, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it's hard to have a favorite in the Bible, um, but it's a verse that it seems to me summarizes uh, basically the whole Bible as good as any other. Now, I'm not a scholar, so to that, but it's, it's 1 John 4, 19 that says, we love because God first loved us. That's what this is all about. That's what James is calling us into. It's a next steps faith. What's your next step? I mean, I love how practical we can get right now. What's your next step? Like today, do you have a next step? Yeah, we have next step. Maybe it's just asking the Lord, what's, the, our, what's my next step, God? Um, maybe, you know, just since we've raised it uh, in, by way of illustration, I don't know, by the way, the answer for you. I mean, you, you, only you can know. Maybe it's praying. Maybe it's leaning into that and starting to pray a little bit more, leading your family into praying a little bit more. Maybe it's being baptized. And you can put your faith in Jesus. Maybe it's being baptized. We're, we're going to have a baptism soon, by the way. Um, and we want to we include you on that. It'd be fun to do uh, uh, many as we basically put our j- portable jacuzzi right here and have a good time. Um, so we, um, maybe, maybe it's being baptized. Maybe, like I mentioned, you know, there's something that just keeps coming up when we talk about this. Maybe God wants you to address something, work on something. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's getting into a current group. Maybe it's any number of things. But real faith, genuine faith, James is saying, will be put into action. So uh, and it always has a next step. So the question then is, what, what's yours? Uh, let's pray as the band comes up. Actually, before, before we start singing and before I pray, with everyone's heads bowed and, and eyes closed just for the sake of, of privacy, I want to give you an opportunity. Uh, if you're here today and you've never received what Jesus has done for you, the gospel, that he lived the life that, that you and I can't live and died the death that, that, that we essentially deserve because we can't do the things that he calls us to do, um, there is grace there. He died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins for all who would believe in him, all who would receive that. And I want to give you an opportunity. If you would like to receive that today, uh, you can raise your hand. Not that raising your hand saves you, not that any good work could, could save you, but to indicate something that's going on in your heart. And I will see it and pray for you is, is more the point, but, but, but God will see it. And he will receive you into his family. So I want to give you an opportunity. If you'd like to receive what Jesus has done for you today, go ahead and raise your hand now and I'll pray for you. Just give a couple moments. Okay, let's pray. Father, we just give you praise that at the end of the day, when it comes to faith living in action, it's really just a reflection of what you've done for us. Lord, you didn't, you didn't need faith on your heavenly throne because you are, <laughs> faith just didn't make, wouldn't make sense there. Uh, but you, you gave that up to live among us by faith, interestingly enough. Um, listening to your heavenly Father, being available to us, Emmanuel, God with us, not being ashamed of us, but dying for us, even as we yelled out the words, crucify him. Um, and of course, making it possible for us, any of us, to walk by grace. Um, so first of all, we thank you for that. And we thank you for James' words here that, that help us see that True faith will be lived out. It'll be, it'll be one that, is, that is, shows a changed life, a changing life. Um, 
Lord, we confess we don't follow you anywhere near as we ought to. Uh, Forgive us when we fail, which is more times than we care to admit or even recognize. But Lord, would you help us love because you first loved us. Love you, love each other, love those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.